If you're visiting with us over the holiday season, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful for the chance to share with you all. It's the end of December, so I'm assuming that the majority of you are sick of anything related to shopping by this point. But even so, you're going to have to forgive me because I want to share a story with you about a shopping trip that my wife and I took about a month ago. It was the night before Thanksgiving, and we were going to be hosting the holiday for the first time. Some friends and family were going to be coming over, and we were getting ready, and suddenly we realized we had a problem. We didn't have anything to serve the gravy in. It was a serious situation, so we did what anybody would do, and we took a trip over to Home Goods, and we started looking for a gravy boat over there. We found the kitchen section. We walked up and down the aisles a few different times, but no matter how hard we looked, we couldn't find a gravy boat anywhere. So I walked over to the nearest Home Goods employee, and I told him what was going on. I asked him for some help, and he said, well, the gravy boat should be over there in the kitchen section. I responded, well, yeah, I figured that's probably where they'd be, and we've looked through there a couple times, but I can't seem to find anyone anywhere. So he looked back at me with kind of a blank look on his face, and he just said, well, they should be over there. And then he turned around and walked away. <laughs> I, I guess he knew where the gravy boats were supposed to be, but I didn't feel like he was actually listening to me. Now, on the one hand, this wasn't very helpful, but on the other hand, I probably shouldn't have been surprised that a high school guy was not the local gravy boat expert. I mean, if I'm being totally honest with all of you, I can admit that I wasn't even 100% sure what I was looking for myself. I, I knew it was somewhere between an oversized spoon rest and a small pitcher, but there was still a lot of gray area in between there for me. So I looked around for another home goods employee, and I spotted a middle-aged woman at the customer service desk. And I don't want to stereotype people too much, but compared to the high school guy, I was optimistic that, you know, maybe she would be a little more in tune with the gravy boat game. So I explained the situation to her, and then she looked at me and she said, the gravy boats are over in the kitchen section. <laughs> I told her how we had looked through there already a couple times, and the problem was we couldn't find any over there. After a short pause, she looked back at me and she said, hmm, well, that's where they should be. Now, I assumed that the hmm at the beginning of her sentence meant that she was trying to think of what else she could do to help me. So I stood there for a couple of minutes of awkward silence until I realized that she had nothing else to say. She wasn't going to continue, and now I was just uncomfortably staring at her. And once again, I really didn't feel like she had listened well enough to understand me. Thankfully, the store manager came by, and I was able to share my dilemma with her too. And then I looked at them both, and I said, you know, would one of you mind just coming over there with me for a minute to help me look at that? The store manager glanced over, she looked back at me and she said, we should be able to find a gravy boat over there. It was not, the problem was not that I didn't know where they were supposed to be. They weren't actually there and nobody was listening to me. And no matter what I said, it felt like none of them were actually listening. At least not well enough to understand what I was saying or to convince me that they cared even a little bit. We went home without a gravy boat and as we continued cleaning the house and preparing some final food for Thanksgiving, the whole time I was brainstorming in my head what I would write in my forthcoming Yelp review for the local home goods. <laughs> it was not going to be complimentary. It was going to say something like, they'll keep telling you how things are supposed to be, but they don't care about listening to you at all because they don't actually want to understand you and they don't care about you either. <laughs> but... 
as I kept thinking about this over and over again in my head, I suddenly had actually a surprising, sad, and disheartening thought that popped into my mind. I wondered, what if there was an online review board where people could leave feedback for how they felt about their interactions with Christians? And as I thought about this, I thought, there might be a lot of reviews that would sound just like that. The way I felt walking out of home goods is unfortunately the way a lot of people outside the church feel when they interact with Christians. Uh, they feel like we often don't listen to them very well, they don't feel understood, and sometimes they don't even feel personally cared about by us. To some of you, this may be obvious. To others of you, this may be much more surprising. But I want to share some statistics to clarify what I'm talking about here. But I want to emphasize ahead of time that this may feel a little harsh. So this is not meant to attack or insult us, but it's helpful to look at anyways to see what are some of the bigger things that really get in the way of people potentially meeting Jesus. So the Barna Group is an evangelical Christian research organization. They do lots of different studies and surveys on all kinds of things, just different cultural attitudes and values that people hold, both non-Christians and Christians. And over the past several years, they've done two pretty significant studies on what are the perceptions of Christians from people who are outside the church. Uh, one of these studies focused mostly on young adults who are not Christians. Um, and in that study, they found that 87% of young adults outside the church think that Christians, evangelical Christians are judgmental. And 70% think that we're insensitive to others. Another study focused on non-Christians of all ages, not just young adults, but non-Christians of all ages. And they picked out different words, some positive, some negative, and just asked, which of these words would you associate with evangelical Christians? One of the words was caring, as in, you know, are they caring people? Only 9% of people said they would associate the word caring with evangelical Christians. They also asked kind of the final thing, was sort of like something you might grade at the end of a course or your boss might review on. It said, what is your overall perception or opinion of evangelicals? And they gave five options to this, kind of like a sliding scale. It was very positive, somewhat positive, neutral, somewhat negative, or very negative. What is your overall perception or opinions of evangelicals? One percent said very positive. 8% said somewhat positive. That means 1 in 10 people, less than 1 in 10 people, have a positive view. 45% of people said neutral, kind of no opinion on it. Uh, 27% said somewhat negative, and 20% said very negative. Now, if you're not a statistics nerd like me, to help you picture this, imagine you walk into a room with 20 people, adults of all ages who are not Christians. Two of them are going to have a positive view of Christianity. Nine of them are going to have a neutral view or no real opinion, and the other nine are going to have a negative view. That means if you wanted to share something about Jesus with them, right from the start, almost half of them feel negative about your credibility and your character. Now, again, I don't share all this to make us feel terrible, and I hope you don't just feel defensive when you hear it. But Jesus cares about these people. And I think Jesus is worth sharing with them, and I know that a lot of you think that too. So even if it hurts a little bit to hear something like that, it's important to see what kind of environment we're in and what are some of the obstacles, some of the things that make it harder for people to even want to visit a church 
or talk to us about spiritual things or maybe consider following Jesus for themselves. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, the first chapter describes Jesus by saying, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came into the world full of grace and truth, and and that was expressed in everything that He did. And there's another short part of the Gospel of Matthew that I think illustrates this well. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. You see in Jesus this concern for the truth that's inside of him that he wants to express with the fact that he's teaching them and he's, he's sharing about proclaiming the kingdom of God, but you also see the grace come out and that everywhere he goes, he's healing people. He's tending to their hurts and hardships, and, and it says that the filter he looks at everybody through is with compassion. Everything he says, he thinks, he feels is with compassion towards them. The way Jesus went out to people is full of truth and grace. If you go back several decades in America, I think a lot of people, the majority of this country, believed in or would agree with the core truths of Christianity. But our culture is changing, and now it's more like there are all different versions of truth that you can pick and choose from. And for Christians, this makes many of us anxious or fearful or feel a little out of control. And our natural reaction when we feel like that is to tighten our grip on the truth of Jesus, but to loosen our grip on the grace of Jesus. In fact, some of us start to think, that if we were to live full of grace the way Jesus did, that might actually just water down the truth. We live alongside neighbors and coworkers and in communities that sometimes have very different values than us, and a lot of times, I really don't even think we understand what those values are. Because we're so convinced that we're on the side of truth that we often don't even take the time to listen with grace and hear and understand those or communicate that we care about them. But we can't share the truth of Jesus if we don't listen well enough to show the grace of Jesus. So this morning, I want to look at one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, uh, one where I think the Apostle Paul just reflects the truth and grace of Jesus so well. Uh, If you want to follow along, you can open up a Bible to Acts 17. The book of Acts is in the New Testament right after the Gospels, so it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. So Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. 
Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This passage takes place about 20 years or so after... Sorry. Uh, About 20 years or so after Jesus was crucified and then is raised back to life. And the Apostle Paul, who's speaking in this, at first is a sworn enemy of the earliest Christians. He actually travels around persecuting them and trying to kill them because he thinks they are worshiping the wrong God. Uh, But eventually, he has his own personal encounter with Jesus, and his life is radically changed. And because of this, he then feels like it's his mission to go around, just travel around, and share about Jesus with whoever will listen. So on one of his trips, Paul comes to the city of Athens, And like many cities around there and in those ancient times, um, they worshipped all kinds of different gods. And they would take precious stones or or rock and they would build a statue out of them to represent their gods and worship those. And this passage says, when you look at it, uh, Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of these idols. Paul comes from a Jewish background. He was actually a Jewish teacher of the law and it is probably more firmly implanted than anything else for someone like him that you don't make an idol to represent God and that you don't worship false gods. There there could be nothing worse. So he's not slightly uncomfortable when he sees this, but the wording here means that he is just grieved and angered deep in his spirit. So Paul starts to have conversations with both Jewish people that happen to be living in Athens and some of the native Greeks, and he's trying to share with them that he thinks that the only way to truly and personally know God is through Jesus. In response to these conversations, some of the locals refer to him as a babbler. Uh, They're definitely intending to insult him here. And the point they're trying to make is they're saying that he's sort of picked up random different religious and philosophical ideas from different places, and he's just stringing them together. He's not even smart enough to understand what he's saying. So then they take him to a council, and this isn't quite a legal trial, but it's not friendly curiosity either. They're bringing Paul in because they're skeptical that he might be undermining their morals and their way of life. Now, Paul obviously has a very different worldview and very different values than them, and he does think that a lot of what they believe is truly problematic. It it really bothers him. But he's also been listening 
and observing well enough to understand what their values are and where those come from. And so he could have started off with any number of disagreements or arguments, but instead, Paul opens with, people of Athens, I see that in every way, you are very religious. You guys value worship, and that's great, I do too. And then he continues, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. You guys are so devout that you don't even want to accidentally miss a God that you might not know about that. I, I admire that. that. That is great devotion. But can I tell you about a God that I think you are missing? Because it sounds like you guys would want to know. And then Paul goes on to share about Jesus, but he relates Jesus to things they could actually understand and, and it speaks right to the values that he's already learned that they have, even quoting some of their own poets and some of their philosophers and, and pointing out where even some of the people that influence them actually on certain points line up with Jesus. I was working at a local coffee shop earlier this week working on the sermon and it's kind of unbelievable given the subject of this, but I got up to get a drink and I overheard a, overheard a woman talking to her friend and this direct quote of what I heard her say. She said, he never wants to listen to anybody else who thinks differently than him, so whenever I'm talking, he just interrupts me and starts going, and I just have to let him talk for a while and tune him out until I can speak again. <laughs> I thought that was honestly a perfect picture of how a lot of our society operates right now. We're getting more and more polarized as a country because we're not really interested in listening to anyone who has different values than us or disagrees with us. We'd rather take turns trying to steamroll each other. We live in a culture where the default when you disagree is to go into battle mode. And you only need to listen close enough to argue, uh, to twist, to exaggerate, or discredit what somebody else is saying. And, and as Christians, unfortunately, we get caught up in this pattern too because we feel like we're fighting for God's truth. And so therefore, these tactics are legitimate because it's so important. But I think Jesus calls us to share God's truth without worrying about fighting for it. People are almost never beaten into believing God's truth anyway. God's truth has the power to change people's hearts, to change cultures, but ironically, when we use it as a weapon and try to fight with it, it loses some of that power because it stops looking anything like Jesus. Jesus had all kinds of people around him that wanted him to change the world by fighting and overpowering the people who were wrong. But that's not what he did. He chose to change the world by sacrificing himself instead. So if we try to share the truth of God in a posture that looks nothing like God, it doesn't make any sense to anyone. That's why Paul listened first, even though he was distressed by what they believed and they were insulting him. Paul listened with grace so that he could genuinely understand what mattered to the Athenians, what kind of values motivated them. And then once he knew that, he could actually share how Jesus spoke to those values. If we can learn to listen like this, to really care to understand the people around us, we can demonstrate the grace of God in a very powerful way. But to share that grace, we have to actually care about understanding people around us, especially when we disagree with them. We have to listen with empathy, try to understand what they're seeing from their perspective. You know, a good test of whether you really understand what someone else thinks is if you can repeat back their argument when they disagree with you in the best possible light, and instead of saying, no, that's not what I said, they say, yeah, that's what I think. If you can't frame it in a way they would say that, you probably haven't listened with enough grace. And trying to understand with an attitude of compassion like this does not water down the truth of Jesus. 
Let me repeat that. Trying to understand where people are coming from and where their values are different than yours and what they are does not water down the truth of Jesus. But in our culture, in the way things are currently, it's one of the most effective ways we can show the grace of Jesus. And when we listen well enough to understand where people are actually coming from, that gives us a chance to have more meaningful conversations that might actually lead to transformation. But we can't share the truth of Jesus if we don't listen well enough to show the grace of Jesus. Now, it's probably not going to surprise any of you to hear that I think one of the first places we lose our listening and we leave behind our grace is when it comes to politics. When something political comes up, a topic, a politician, um, we suddenly feel like we can communicate in a way that shaped nothing like Jesus. Now, it's important for Christians to have our politics informed by the values of Jesus, but often the way we talk about them is antagonistic, insulting, and doesn't show compassion for anyone else. It doesn't look out with a compassionate filter the way Jesus did. And so I have an assignment for you guys this week. Uh, And to start that off, I need you to take a moment here and just think in your head, what is a political topic that you feel fairly strong about, that you have a strong opinion on? Just think about any political topic that you have a fairly strong opinion on. All right, this week... I want you to listen well enough. That may mean reading something you wouldn't normally read. That may mean asking someone. That may mean just reflecting thoughtfully to figure out what are the values of someone that has the opposite opinion of you. What leads them to think the way they do? And ground rule, it is off limits to say that they are dumb, crazy, or evil. You will fail the assignment if that's your conclusion. Now, I'm not saying that all positions are equal. Sometimes I would really say that, you know, this is right and this is wrong. But to think from someone else's perspective and understand them, nobody thinks from a set of values that they think are bad. Everybody thinks they're working with a set of values that are good. So what are their values and why do they think those are good? Can you understand that? And I'm suggesting you do this with a political topic because that's the arena where we're basically taught to enter as if it's a death match. So... If you can learn to practice that there, it's going to be a lot easier when it comes up anywhere else in life. And this is so important for people who follow Jesus. Because if we actually listen with enough grace to understand someone else's values and where they're coming from, we have the chance to have an actual conversation about how Jesus speaks to those values. But again, we can't share the truth of Jesus if we don't listen to show the grace of Jesus. Now, we start listening in order to understand, but we also listen in order to to communicate love, in order to show that we actually care about the person we're interacting with. The survey that I referenced earlier said that a large percentage of people view Christians as judgmental, insensitive, and uncaring. I'd, I'd be pretty confident to bet a lot of money that those people have not felt very well listened to by Christians. They have not felt cared about, understood, or loved by the way Christians have listened to them. It's interesting to contrast these perceptions, too, with the fruit of the Spirit. In the New Testament book of Galatians, which is written by the same Apostle Paul, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine if the way we listen to other people communicated these things. 
Imagine if these things were so deeply formed in us that that's what people saw, even when we had some, different, some disagreements with them or had different values in them. But this doesn't have to stay in our imaginations. That's what the Holy Spirit does when we're willing to surrender to Him, when we're willing to let God shape us in His image. If we're willing to follow the way of Jesus, we can communicate His sacrificial love to people, regardless of whether we think everything the same way they do. When I was in seminary, which is basically grad school for pastors, they had a debate one day where they had two of the professors, they got up, I don't know if we were having lunch or something, but a bunch of us were around tables, they had two professors get up, and they had different views on baptism, different theological views, and so they debated back and forth for a while. And I remember as I watched, thinking that the guy I actually agreed with, to be honest, was kind of coming off like a jerk. The fruit of the Spirit was not evident in the way he had this conversation at all. But the professor I disagreed with was a gracious listener. He was really trying to understand the other guy before just chiming in with the things he wanted to say. The fruit of the Spirit was, was clearly showing in the way he talked, and he was just warmly communicating what he thought was different and why. I remember as it ended, we got up from our table and I said, technically I think Joe is right about baptism, but Mark looks a whole lot more like Jesus. Our, our attitude and our character communicates way more powerfully than our words. And if we use that to communicate that we care about people and we love them, they might actually have this chance to see the grace of Jesus working in us. So we listen with grace to truly understand people, and when we listen to show that we love them, that we care about them, but we also listen to hear where God is already at work. When the Apostle Paul approached the Athenians, he knew they were also people made in God's image, and he knew that based on God's character, God was probably already reaching out in his love towards them too. So Paul listened to hear where they might have values already inspired by their Creator, or where they might be recognizing that something was missing in their lives, something else that they wanted or needed. Paul listened to hear where God was already at work in their hearts, and then he just joined in on that conversation instead of starting a new one. A friend of mine explains it like this. Imagine you show up at a party, you're by yourself, and you see a couple people that you really enjoy spending time with having a deep discussion already. And you want to go join in on their conversation. But you don't want to ruin the mood, and you don't want to rudely interrupt, so you walk over, maybe you quietly say hi, but mostly you stand there and you listen for a little bit until you can understand what they're talking about and what conversation is already taking place, and then you can join in and start connecting with them about that too. If we listen close enough, I think we might actually hear that God is already starting conversations with a lot of the people around us. We might hear where they're actually motivated by things that come from the image of God inside of them, even if they wouldn't say it that way. We might hear where their motivations are based on compassion, or justice, or creativity, or generosity, or sacrificial love. Or we might hear where they're sensing that something's missing, where they're struggling with their family, with their health, with their job, with their identity, their purpose, or the need for fulfilling relationships and meaningful community. But we won't hear the conversation that God has already started if we don't take the time to listen. We listen to understand, we listen to communicate that we love them, and we listen to hear what conversations God has already started. 
When we first hear about the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the first thing that's ever said about him is that he's a witness to the death of one of the early Christians. Uh, Because early on, Paul was opposed to all the Christians. He believed they were worshiping the wrong God. He didn't think that Jesus was actually God, and they had messed the whole thing up. And he was zealous about fighting for what he believed was God's truth. He felt it was his call to wipe them out because of this and to fight for God's truth. So he persecuted them, and he literally killed the earliest Christians. But when Paul encounters Jesus, he is dramatically and radically changed, and not just in the fact that now he knows the right truth, that Jesus is actually God, but he's changed in the fact that now his heart is filled with the grace of Jesus as well. And that's why the same guy who used to go around and try to kill people who worshiped the wrong God could walk into a city like Athens and have the grace to listen enough to understand them, to show that he cared about them, and to hear what God was already doing in their hearts. I think people still need and still want what only Jesus can give. But we can't share the truth of Jesus if we don't listen well enough to show the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. God, when you came into this earth, we just celebrated Christmas. You came to be among us so we could see what you are like. And what we saw was that you were full of truth and grace. It's really easy sometimes for us to pick one of those, for us to only want one of those, for to pit those against each other or feel comfortable with one of those. But God, you are full of truth and grace. And God, it, it seems like a lot of people are not seeing your grace through us. And you know all the reasons for that. Maybe we don't fully understand it. But God, I ask that you would transform us, that you would continue working in our hearts the way you say you will and promise you will, that we might be able to reflect your grace in a meaningful way so people can see you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, that spoke to me. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) I, I know this for some of you.